Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Norsheen, Andrew, and John to discuss the topic of leadership in the workplace. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Norsheen, do you want to kick us off? Hi, everyone. I'm Norsheen Maulana, and I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Ethisphere, an ethics and compliance company. As a product technology leader, I help companies scale, grow new revenues, and attain customer referenceability through the rapid delivery of customer-delighting enterprise SaaS products. My career of 25 plus years spans industries such as scientific computing, enterprise search, healthcare, and more recently ESG. I appreciate the opportunity to join the conversation today and share my perspectives on leadership. Great. Thanks, Oshin. Andrew? Hey, I'm Andrew Duncan. It's a pleasure to meet everyone. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm a chief technology officer specializing in um, early stage and high growth startups, um, as well as uh, helping scale larger companies and larger teams. Uh, specialize in the fintech space, uh, a large part of my career, and in just technology consulting. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. And last but not least, John. Hi, my name is John Goldberg. I'm the head of data analytics at Fund That Flip. We're a real estate fintech that supports everything end to end from giving loans to people that need money to flip a house or renovate it, to giving you software that lets you manage your property and deals and look for different opportunities, to working with investors that are accredited or institutional partners and want to invest in some properties or funds to make some extra money. That's great. Thanks, guys. So now we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. So you've all got statements or questions around leadership in the workplace. So let's get started. Um, Noshim, we're going to start off with you. So I believe you wanted to kick us off with team engagement and development. Um, over to you. Yeah, so I think uh, team engagement is very important in the sense that um, if you think about how much time we actually spend at work, uh, most of our waking hours, it's really important that your team members um, are really connected with what they are doing and have a sense of like satisfaction. And I think it starts, it's a whole spectrum. And I like to think about it in terms of, you know, how you have Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? So very similar to that, after you've taken care of like, you know, like benefits and well-being and all of that, it's really looking at things like job design and really helping team members connect with the core purpose of the company, the values, the mission, but also, you know, it's about investing in them, like in their professional development, career goals, but also providing an environment where their input is appreciated, their feedback is valued and that they can bring their authentic whole selves, right? This creating an environment where people are able to excel. And I believe that engagement starts from right from the time of hiring, making sure you are onboarding and selecting, um, you know, for culture and, um, you know, providing an environment where people can grow, but always um, understanding like how the deliverables fit into the bigger context. So I am a very strong believer in setting goals um, and, you know, whatever your company's, you know, whether it's a corporate dashboard, it's a OKR, like tying that down to your department goals and then to individual career goals and really investing. I'm a huge fan of like quarterly um, goals check-in. I tell my team, you always want to be learning. You always want to be building skills because you never know your next job may be at your same company. It could be at a different company. You always want to be prepared, right? So a simple thing I tell people is like, think about release bullets. Your products have release bullets, right? Like what is your release bullet at the end of a year? How do you want to grow? 
What kind of training do you want? And I think this is where managers play a very important role in the sense that they're like coaches, right? I really, I've had experience early in my career where I realized that nobody is more interested in you than you. And if you don't have a plan, you're going to be part of somebody else's plan and you're probably not going to like where you're going to end up, right? So this fact about like own your career, have those conversations with your manager about like, hey, what does a senior software engineer track look like? If I'm already there, what does a principal and an architect look like? Like having those conversations and actually coming up with a plan, right? It's very important. And then, you know, getting that feedback um, on, on where you are in, in that process. And I will wrap by saying two other important things. I really feel that um, having one-on-ones, like for managers, having one-on-ones with the team members is very important because this gives you an opportunity to connect with the individual team member to really understand what's going on, not only in their world, what you can communicate with them, but also know like the kinds of projects they worked on and also give you an opportunity to discover their strengths, right? Because I really feel like when you put teams together that complement each other and are strong, um, you really get a high level of like engagement. And um, I one of the things I say for agile teams is like, do you have a way of working, right? And then, you know, are you able to give each other feedback, uh, whether it's like, you know, mentoring, it's code reviews, whatever, like, uh, do we have an environment where people are engaged and um, can actually contribute to the overall goals? So um, I think from that perspective, I feel in really trying to share the company goals, vision, breaking them down into what are you working this release? How do your contribution matter to are you being heard? And this is how you get feedback to work on your career. And um, I think having those open conversations and knowing that as um, as an individual on a team, somebody really cares about what you do, um, I think is pretty important. And then you can measure these things by like conducting, you know, internal survey, ENPS to really understand how you feel is, uh, you know, your team is connected and you can continuously work on that feedback. Uh, so that, those are some things I've done and I'm sure um, Duncan and um, has has talked about, um, you know, in our prep, like some of the things that he might want to share in terms of like team engagement and development as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really, I really like what you said about um, uh, having people own their career. I, um, <clears throat> one of the things that I have done a lot of work for myself and the leaders that I've worked with is motivating employees. And uh, one way to do that is people want to grow. They want to grow. And a lot of times people are not sure how to go about that. And so one of the ways you talked about one-on-ones, one of the ways that I structure my one-on-ones is when I'm I'm meeting with um, my leaders or if I'm meeting with IC, um, I talk a lot about what do they want to focus on? What do they want to do next? What do they want to be challenged, right? I think it's really important to help help your people be challenged where they want to be challenged. Um, uh, motivation is um, is an art as much as it is science, and so um, there there are different ways you can you can go about that. Um, one thing that's really important, I think, when um, uh, building high performing teams um, is having uh, is having great emotional intelligence as a leader. So whether you're hiring leaders or developing yourself into a leader, it's an area to spend a lot of focus on. Um, Wow. in coaching with your leaders as well as in, in your own growth, right? So there's a bunch of books that I've read about emotional intelligence and how I kind of grew um, as a leader. Because when I first started out as a leader, 
I didn't like, I didn't have it. I lacked it. I was like a bull in a china shop and it was kind of rough, right? People didn't necessarily want to follow me. Right. Um, and a lot of managers think that people have to do what you tell them because you're their boss, which there are those types of leaders, but I find, um, in my quest for building high performing teams, um, that's not the approach to take. Um, so you use EQ to understand your employees, understand what challenges they want to solve, where they want to focus. Um, and I think it's really important uh, within your organization to create safety, a place where um, people are, it's accepted to have healthy dissent. Uh, it's not a fear-based culture, it's you know, a growth-based culture, right? Where everyone's willing to help out, right? Um, and there's there's been organizations that have exceeded um, with both fear-based and growth-based cultures. But um, I find that for sustainability and for truly high-performing teams, um, something where you're focusing on that growth is is much more important. Um, and that looks that takes shape um, in different ways. So some characteristics that I look for are are people are are people communicating effortlessly? Is there very little friction for communication? Are they raising their hand and asking um, asking great questions? Right? Uh, are they dissenting right healthily? Right? Um, looking for the best solution to whatever problem they're trying to solve. Right? Whether they're launching products, uh, whether they're working on data pipelines, um, or or whether they're doing business process changes. Right? You also use emotional intelligence to recognize situations, and it goes it goes not just down to the people you're leading, but it goes up to the people that are leading you as well, right? You want to be able to understand what challenges they're trying to solve, what what issues they're dealing with. Um, so you use EQ to to help understand situations um, that allow you to understand your employees, so you can help motivate them. Um, I think another really important aspect of motivating employees is um, creating autonomy, giving them the ability to. Uh, own something from end to end is really important. Uh, people want to take pride in their work, right? And there's no better way to do that than let them own it, right? Um, and they want to believe in what they're doing, right? So I think it's important to find creative ways to tie whatever work that they're doing back to the larger company initiatives. Um, and you can do that a, a bunch of different ways, right? Uh, I, I really like what Nasheen said about uh, the quarterly goals. Um, so I, I set quarterly goals and annual goals for the people that I lead. And I use my one-on-ones as a way to kind of check up on that. Sometimes people are like, I'm you know, I'm going headfirst into this. I've already got this thing scheduled, this test or this extra learning. And some people are like, I got to delay this. And, you know, there's just a lot going on. Work's kind of crazy. And I think both are fine. Um, now, it's, you know, it, it, having that one-on-one and that check-in is a piece of ca- accountability, not only for yourself as a leader to the, to the person, because you're holding yourself accountable to their growth, but also to them, to their own personal growth, right? To, to what Nasheen said, owning their career. Um, and then, you know, when when you're creating that autonomy um, as leaders, it's really important to delegate um, and, because in order for us to scale organizations, we have to be able to delegate and 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 doing so you're showing trust. You're giving people the ability to take that auto- to uh, to have that autonomy um, and it gives them the opportunity to grow as well. Uh, so the last thing that I want to talk about is accountability. Um, accountability uh, takes takes shape in a couple different ways, um, you know. A lot of times we think of it as holding someone accountable is, is sort of has a sort of negative connotation, and I'll, I don't think that's it at all. Kind of like what I was saying about the well ones and checking on people's growth. Um, I think of it as uh, like if you have a gym partner, right? And you know, at six a.m., your gym part your gym partner is going to be at the gym. You don't want to let them down, right? Like you know, you can skip a day for sure, right? Maybe something's going on with the kids, but you don't want to let them down time and time again. So it's more of a you know, holding someone accountable is more of a it's sort of like a friendly way to to make sure that we're both on on the track that we want to go on. Um, and again, people want to be on a part of a winning team, so it's important to hold people accountable across the team. Um, I've seen times where uh, people, you know, there's been a lot of you know A players on the team, and they're all pulling their weight, 
and you might have someone who's not necessarily pulling the weight and that sort of creeps in and and it starts to um, erode at the morale of the team erode at the culture and i think that's really important to catch early on um and so something i learned in a book called love love works is um when you're holding someone accountable you should always admonish in private um, and you can praise publicly and, and privately, but it's really important never to admonish or reprimand uh, in public. It's just uh, it's demoralizing. It's uh, it's disrespectful, and so you know you should you should approach those situations carefully. And and also another I think important thing to consider or to remember is there's a three to one ratio uh, from praise to admonishment, and you should sort of follow that as a recipe to make sure that. Again, if you're building high-performing teams, you're, you're building an organization of growth that you're focusing mostly on the growth, right? If people are doing a great job. You should let them know they're doing a great job. Um, so yeah, and I think um, I think John has, or actually, you, I'll let you introduce John. Yeah, absolutely, John. I think did you uh, did you have something to add to to Andrew's point there? Yeah, first I just want to say the great conversation so far. I think we've touched end to end everything required from a leadership uh, perspective. That's required from hiring to management and ongoing performance. So I think it's been great. I do think that emotional intelligence and adapting to different situations is probably one of the most difficult things I've had to do as a leader. And it ties into everything they have to do from hiring, being able to read people to actively coaching for performance, tying together the vision to the strategy and motivating them. All those things fit together. I think emotional intelligence is that key that unlocks our ability as leaders to execute on those things. Um, One of the biggest pain points I had as a leader is like you, Duncan, I tend to be go, go, go. So I had to slow down, learn to empathize and relate with my employees and build that rapport to actually coach them and meet them in the moment. And some people need to know why you're doing things. They need that context. Other people are just focused on results. They want to know what other people need process and steps and support and context. And other people just need to be supported and heard. So being able to adapt to those situations, I think just makes you a better leader. So yeah, absolutely. You've all You've all kind of summed up so nicely. I think what's so nice by the sounds of it, you know, you're you're all so in tune with with emotional intelligence, and it and it is a journey, right? But it sounds like you're all very much creating um, an environment of trust, and I think trust is is maybe something um, somebody touched on earlier. But that that trust allows people to kind of progress in their career, and and I think Norsheen, you you touched on this to to kind of have that vulnerability um, with your manager, which allows somebody to to kind of develop. So yeah, you've all you've all touched on some some great great points. Um, John, did you want to kind of um, carry on there? Yeah, so I guess uh, kind of extending that a little bit. One of the things that I'm very interested in is uh, this concept called extreme ownership. Since you toss out a book reference, I'm Duncan, I'm going to do the same. Um, extreme ownership, it's a book by this guy called Jacko Wim. He was a SEAL in Ramadi. So he was in a very dynamic situation. He had to deal with things that basically they weren't trained to do and adapt to that and react. So a lot of good lessons in that book. And I think one of the best messages that I got from reading through it was they had this example where they had some SEALs and they go through this thing called buds training. They have to carry these boats and do races really hard really grueling most employees would burn out so it's it's tough to perform so it's a good test of leadership and they had this example where they had a bunch of different teams one team um they were crushing it they didn't even though it was very tiring they were um getting first place every single time they kept going everyone was just feeling good about what they were doing they had another team consistently low performers they did an experiment they took the leader from one team the high performing team and moved them to the low performing team and they found that that simple change 
while the leader initially he was a little frustrated he was resolved to turn it around he elevated up their level of performance got them motivated and they didn't get first place every time but he bumped them up from last place to consistently operating at a better level and then that person that was a low performing leader his team they were still performing well but they dropped down so i think that message being able to do everything um is it just a highlights the importance of leadership um and i think they had a, a few different things that they proposed just to make that happen that tied together to everything that you guys were talking about leaders are ultimately responsible for everything you need to create psychological safety have emotional intelligence support people hold them to high standards continuously improve drive change don't be complacent with what you have you also need to be a bit of a salesman i think that's another thing that i had to work on as a leader i used to be a data guy right so very into the numbers but being able to sell and motivate your employees to the mission get them motivated to execute is critical um can't be egotistical you have to work together as a team not just in your team but also with other departments is i don't know if you guys have had this problem but i think in tech um there's a general perception that tech tends to work in silos and they don't collaborate with other departments which causes frustration with your stakeholders lack of understanding of value of the team see so being able to collaborate effectively i think is a differentiator for teams and as a leader yeah andrew did you have something oh, sorry noshin you go and then we'll go to andrew next yeah i think um john said a few things that jog my memory in terms of um you know, having that emotional intelligence as a leader from his own experience. Um, one of the reasons, um, you know, for me personally to get on the management journey really was um, as an engineer, you you want to sit in a room, you want to code, you want that instant, you know, gratification, right? Like you see it, it works, it's great. But, you know, just because you're a really good individual contributor doesn't make you a really good manager or leader, right? And I think this is what we're talking about. And one of my mentors earlier on, like when I decided to become a manager, he said something to me in terms of wanting to be a manager because you want to have more leverage, right? Um, it's not like so much the title, but the impact you want to have. And later on in my career, one of the things I learned is that, um, you know, there's an African, I think it's an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So leadership is really a very people-oriented business, right? Like getting a group motivated, going in the right direction. And, you know, also it is like being self-aware. And like we talked about like this emotional intelligence and all of that, which is all important. But I think it's also being um, vulnerable, right? Like to not know all the answers, but also to be self-assured in the sense that you're willing to hire people smarter than you, right? Because you're really looking at the overall goal of like how as an organization, whether, you know, um, whatever business you're in, you want to get that value out to your customers, right? And what I wanted to touch upon is, and I think we all talked about this whole psychological safety, at the heart of it, it's really as an organization, as a leader, how are you enabling an environment where there is this interpersonal risk taking that's happening, right? It's not to it's not to say that there won't be conflict. It's not to say everything will be a bed of roses, but it's to say that there is candor, there is productive disagreement. You're embracing conflict. And um, one HR business partner I had phrased this very well. It is the difference between being nice versus kind. We're kind to each other. We're able to give each other feedback, right? So you have the best solutions come out of it. And as a leader, you have the opportunity to model that for your team, right? 
have you earned their trust? Are you, you know, are you walking the talk, so to speak, right? I mean, are you there really holding yourself accountable? Are you able to take feedback and, you know, act on it? And um, in the spirit of sharing a resource, I would encourage people, there is a book, um, actually a lot of research done on psychological safety um, by Amy Edmondson. It's called The Fearless Organization. It's really a good, um, I mean, it's based on like, I don't know, three decades of research. It really talks about when you free people away from image management to really going to what is the core, um, you know, challenge or whatever it is that you're solving together as a team. It's very freeing where you're able to now innovate and really excel, right? It's not, there's no silver bullet. It's really hard work, but it starts with the organization, understanding your core values, your mission, your culture, and all the way driving it consistently because you really believe that continuous improvement is really important, right? Like, and risk-taking is encouraged, like fail fast or what have you. Um, so I just wanted to like tie that back to, you know, technically competent people may not always make the best leaders. And to be a good leader, I think you need to really be very self-aware and have a higher degree of emotional intelligence. And again, not to say that it can be cultivated. I think it can because I can speak for myself. I was like a hardcore engineer. I made the switch into management. So it can be done. But the question is, is this something that motivates you? So that's a really good point, Nasheen. Um, I often, um, I also made the switch from very hardcore technical engineer slinging code. And I loved it because you, know, you get that instant gratification. Either works of it or it doesn't. And you can fix it immediately if it doesn't. And that's, um, that's something that I often tell uh, engineers who are growing into leaders who want to grow into leaders or at least exploring that idea is that feedback cycle, um, the feedback loop of, am I doing a good job? Sometimes takes quarters or years as a leader, because you, you know, if you have these larger initiatives, especially if you're in the C-suite or, you know, the VP or, or director, if you're leading these larger, uh, initiatives or programs for organizations, you don't know if it's going to be successful or, or, or to what degree it's going to be successful until you get there. Right. And so that can be, that can be very worrisome, very daunting for engineers as they're making that transition. And so. Oftentimes, as someone move, is moving in from IC into you know into like the first line of leadership, you know that's been some feedback that I've had is you know I can't tell you know I don't know if it's going well you know I don't know if I'm doing a good job and I tell them that's a normal feeling it's a normal transition um, and the second piece of that is you don't have control like you can't your fingers are on the keyboard right so you don't have tangible control of what's going on so it's difficult to sort of measure that as well and i say that's a normal feeling too it's it's just part for the course of growing into a leader so you look for signs of is the team working well together are they communicating are you on track right you have your you set up your milestones or your roadmaps and you look for signs of team health right to understand and so those are tools that i try to i try to that i use myself and that i try to teach of people who are growing into leadership as well um but i have a question for john because um you know the the story about the um the seal team was was quite interesting um and i'm curious you know that that's a um that's a that's a switch a leadership of some a physical task but there's a lot of motivation and psychological um considerations there but i'm really curious about you know as you're taking on a new leadership role in an organization um what do you what do you start what do you start with where do you look uh, for how do you begin yeah no i think great question um so i think the first thing any good leader should do is listen you might have been hired or promoted to a leadership role as an IC because you have a lot of skills, but I think uh, just leading on those immediately and thinking you have the solution to things is a 
problem that a lot of leaders typically fall into the first time. So first month, listen, find out the problems, talk to your stakeholders, talk to your team, figure out what they need and start to provide support. Um, after you do that and you have a good picture of what's going on, you're probably going to have an idea of what you want to execute on. You're, the fact is there's going to be so much going on. You're going to have to balance the needs of the business, those things that you want to do. You can't do it all at first. So I like to do roll out what I have uh, called a tactical data strategy and then also a more long-term data strategy and try and balance the needs of the business with the things that I want to do and then get quick wins and success stories over time. And if you do that right, you can build a higher performing team and you can also keep your customers happy and keep uh, improving how your team operates over time. So that's what I like to do uh, when I first join a new team. And that's what I did in this role when I made the change over here. Another thing that I, I find helpful is uh, creating a maturity model. So essentially trying to rate the performance of the team in various verticals and using that to get buy-in on why you're making those longer term changes and investments, whether it be people, process, technology, and elevating the team over time. And that way you can set expectations where you want to be in a year, two years, and track performance. So it holds you and the team accountable and communicates your vision and strategy as well. Uh, th that's interesting. Um, we, we haven't talked about this a bit, but you know, we've talked about you know, creating the safety and emotional intelligence uh, using emotional intelligence to create the safety net and build trust with your team. Um, one one thing that I, I was talking to a buddy of mine recently. He's a he's a leader at a an organization. Um, was a managing performance on the team, and I have my philosophies. He has his philosophies. But one of the things we got to discussing was he had previously worked in a large organization that um, they managed performance um, by forcing him to fit people to a curve. And I, that, that concept doesn't necessarily fit well with me. I, I don't, but I don't know how that works necessarily at some of these like really, really large organizations. I think it makes sense um, at a really, really high level where you understand that different people have different skill sets. They perform at different levels and that's normal, right? That's, you know, like everyone can't be Michael Jordan, right? Um, but, uh, but at an individual team, if you have a team of 20 or an individual, you know, much, much smaller team of 50, um, I don't necessarily think that concept holds holds true because you could just do a great job hiring and mentoring and coaching, right? You can coach people into top performers um, if they have the aptitude and the drive to do so, right? Um, I, I recently read uh, an article uh, called um, How to Do Great Work. It's a very long piece of literature, but it was really, really good and it resonated with me. So if you're interested in it, go, go check it out. Um, but I'm curious you guys' thoughts on on sort of that style of management. How do you manage performance? What are your thoughts on the bell curve or fitting the curve? Um, what do you think? Yeah, no, I think uh, managing for performance is a difficult topic. And as a manager, I'm constantly trying to refine my approach and improve how I drive performance. Um, I think you're spot on, though. I refer to it as will versus skill. So is the employee motivated? Are they interested? If not, can you motivate them and get them to understand why work is important and start operating at a higher level? And then do they have the skill set to perform the tasks that you're assigning? I don't think it's just necessarily for the role, but for the work that you're assigning them, because it can vary drastically, whether they're doing general development work, project-based work, if you're trying to have them stretch and move into higher levels. So applying that lens with every task that you give them will let you tailor your approach as a manager to what they need in that moment. Because there will be certain tasks where they'll knock it out of the park. They're highly willed and highly skilled. They love it. They're, they know how to do it. They've done it for years. But if you want them to grow, you need to give them things where they don't have that skill set and they need to develop. So you need to be transparent with that, provide support, um, motivation, 
be more direct if they have neither the will or the skill and get them to where you need them to be. And in terms of giving them that feedback and helping them move up the bell curve, because I think you're right, most people are able to move up as long as the will is there. Um, I think you just need regular touch points with performance. A problem that I've had is if you use regular one-on-ones, you can talk about performance there and things that are going on, but sometimes the message is lost. So we also couple in regular performance discussions where that is the only focus of the meeting. And we reiterate the points that come up on a weekly session. So we do that uh, monthly. And then we also have a quarterly performance review where you get a formal rating. And then that way, just that just reiterates where they are. And it's more transparent on where they are and where they need to be in the future. Yeah. So I think the question you're asking, Duncan, is a pretty important, interesting one, but I think it's also a minefield, in my opinion, um, because comp is never easy, right? Um, and then, you know, performance assessment, I would say is, um, should be a science, but it's more of an art than it is a, a science, right? I mean, I think it's somewhere in between there. I think, um, you know, grading curve, I think it really depends on on the institution and like your overall comp philosophy, because everything needs to be backed by a budget of some kind, right? So those are those mechanics of like, you know, how comp's done, and I'm not an HR professional, so I won't even venture there. But um, I think the more interesting part about like, um, how do you actually assess, you know, your team members performance and set them up for success, I think it really begins like the two um, artifacts, if you will, or mechanisms I've used is like first ensuring you actually have a career ladder in your organization. So you understand what the levels are, what the expectations of the levels are, and what um, performance at that level really looks like. And that needs to be, you know, like backed by a competencies matrix, like a senior software engineer exhibits these competencies versus an architect or a consulting engineer. And so I think it's really allowing people to see what the job profile is and how do you get to that next level and having those conversations, having the feedback, right? Like um, doing a 360 degree feedback or, you know, you'll see it like whether it's in day to day, your sprint deliverables, who's growing the training on the job that you're able to do. Um, I think all of those are factors. And sometimes um, people, if they want to try something different, you know, you want to move from engineering into product management. Are you able to give those opportunities, right? And, you know, within the organization. And so it, it can be up, it can be lateral. And sometimes it might also be coaching out because um, at different points in the company, you need different profiles of people and early stage startup might value, again, I'm not trying to be pejorative here, like that hacking mentality, get done quickly, right? It's a valuable skill. But if you're a scaling organization, something that you were really a superstar at may not, you know, work itself, right? So it's not like it's right or wrong. It is like, here you are in time, what the organization needs, and what is the kind of profile you need, and can you find a win-win, right? So I think those are important and it's also important for managers to separate the conversation of like what you accomplish from these are the coaching conversation of like what you need to do like appreciate everything that's been done but then also have the coaching conversation of like goal setting for the next year or what have you but let that individual own and and drive it right and you're there as a coach i think that's kind of important but the timely feedback is important because if you really see somebody is not performing, 
the annual performance review should not be a surprise, right? I think you guys will agree that you're having those conversations frequently. So you give people an opportunity to course correct, or you learn from it that maybe this is not something they're not ready to be the principal software engineer, for example, right? So I, I feel like there's the assessment piece, then there is the comp piece. And I think the comp piece is really a partnership like with your business side of the house, like with HR, the market, where it is. And engineering roles are very competitive, right? And they, the, the supply demand moves very um, in very fluid ways, is all I will say. So those are some thoughts I have around performance management and comp and that whole bit there. Yeah, I've always thought of comp and performance um, is while they're they're loosely coupled, I, I, I tried to in my mind separate them to some degree. Whereas, um, I mean, obviously, if you're not doing well, you don't get more, you know, you don't get a raise or promoted, right? But I also think that you know, just because you are doing a good job, I think it's really important to understand for a lot of people, and I've had this conversation with people. Um, that if the business, you know, has, you know, business was expecting to grow by, you know, 20% for the year, um, and it doesn't, or even worse, you know, it's, it, it didn't, it missed its revenue targets, then there isn't additional comp to be given out, especially at large organizations where you have a lot of people expecting comp changes. And so just because you're doing really well in your job doesn't mean there's an opportunity for you to make more money. Um, and to your point, the market, maybe the market's comp is reset. I think like last year for, you know, engineering salaries was, you know, like this huge boom and i think this year we're seeing a an adjustment you know sort of a, a, a not not a correction but sort of like a, a settling of, of comp salaries for um for engineering professionals um and so you know it i think it's tied to whether or not the business is hitting its goals and there's an opportunity for the business to grow because at the end of the day it's all business right so i think it's um my, my general philosophy is you know you someone could still be doing a great job and you should tell them they're doing the great job especially if they're performing well um, but that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that they're going to get a raise or they're going to get promoted. To your point, John, you've got or to or machine, you got to have that skills matrix. You've got to understand um, what gaps there are. You do a gap assessments with your people to understand where they need to grow before they can reach the next level. Yeah, the other thing I will say, and I would be curious to hear your experiences. I find that we do a really good job in terms of building out expectations for individual contributors, but I struggle like with managers, right? I feel like I've yet to see a, a really crisp career ladder, like after you hit the engineering manager level, right? Like what happens after that? Like director, VP, CTO, like what have you. I feel like that's more, maybe that part is more the art and maybe the ICs we have that covered maybe. And because like, you know, just talking about performance, I think, I think um, Duncan, you mentioned this uh, earlier. It's not just like as a coder, you know, you delivered code you saw your performance like as a manager it's more long term right and then as you go higher up on the management track it is like was your team successful it's not about your individual success and the higher up you go then it is was the company successful were the adjacent teams successful and um there is a book i like to have every senior um engineer or manager in my organization read it's called the elegant puzzle by will larson and there he talks about this notion of a first team which is really your success is measured by the success of everybody across from you, you know, not so much inward. And that takes people time to like process, right? Like, what do you mean? Like my team's important, right? But but the point really being that um, I think I'd, maybe it was uh, John who mentioned, like you can't operate in silos um, because customers don't see you as implementation, delivery, engineering. So they see you as your company, right? 
everybody is a face of the company, whoever interacts. So like, how do you ensure success? And, and tying that back to performance. So I really appreciate it when organizations look at performance as both the company's goals and your individual performance, right? Like finding some balance because as an engineer, you may not control how sales or revenues are done, but you can control like, hey, I help ship this code. So how do you get to a fair and equitable place where individuals feel like they have a stake in the company because of their individual performance and the same time, they are contributing to something bigger than themselves. So, you know, that's it's one team, one dream kind of a thing. So um, those are, I think, a few things that are tricky once you get into the management area of like how performance all works out. So being a data guy, uh, a lot of the points that you're saying kind of resonate with me. So we've debated these problems a lot at our company. And we've tried to do a couple different things. Uh, the, the first one being there's organizational level KPIs that everyone's accountable for. Uh, for and as you go down to each department you break it down now to your point technology we're more of an enabler we help others to be more effective so one of the things that we've been trying to do is tie together the impact of our initiatives and projects and feature releases to the business results so can a person work on more deals every month are we driving efficiencies are we driving revenue is there more money coming in every month and essentially what we can do is we can plot the rollout of these features with any corresponding increases on business results and see if we are having an impact so that that's one way to get like a quantitative measure on the business goals we also um there's a saying where you might be delivering a lot of value, but if your customers don't realize that, like if they don't have that perception, like d does it really matter? So in addition to actually seeing the impact of those numbers, we also do a lot of surveys, net promoter scores, things of like that with our customers to make sure they feel supported and get what they need. Because if they're having a great experience and we're hitting numbers and helping them hit their numbers, then we can call it technology a success. So we try and do that at the organizational level. It's harder to do. I, I think that works best for managers. It's hard to do that at an individual level though. I was just going to say that's really a great point about the KPIs. I think it it brings a lot of clarity, right? Like you have corporate goals, whether it's like absolute priorities, you have a balanced scorecard or OKRs. It gives you a sense for what is the target you're shooting for. Then you can like kind of like roll it down to the department, to individuals and see how that all like ties together and really be more data driven. So there's no like voodoo around like, okay, how do you compute? Like, you know, did the company do well or not? So I really like that. Idea, and I think it really is helpful for people to connect to what they do to like the overall company goal. So that's a really great point about like, you know, organizations actually having something concrete that they can look at, um, even though they don't, you know, meeting it or not meeting it, at least you know what you're shooting for. Um, that, that's a really good point. Uh, to, to your point, to your, your sort of your point, Nasheen, about it's sort of easy to tangibly manage or uh, measure performance of ICs because you're shipping code. But as you get higher and higher in the organization, it's a little more difficult sort of like to build that career track for leaders. Um, I think that's, I think that's true. I found that true as, as well. And one of the things that I think really helps is, you know, how you tell someone, don't think about an elephant. Now everyone's thinking about an elephant. Everyone that's listening to this right now. Well, I think it's a really important, you know, when I, when I think about growing leaders is to, Get them to focus on the things that I found that helped me be successful as a leader, right? You know, what I want to do is kind of all the things we started talking about in the beginning of this is creating that safety, um, creating the opportunity for people to ask questions and have healthy dissent. And and as a leader, it's your job to encourage that those conversations and this your job to not only um, um, encourage those conversations within your team but or teams, but have your teams um, advocate for your teams and their ideas throughout the rest of the organization. And if you can watch your leaders doing this, right? 
to your point, you know, the higher up you go, the more you're responsible for, right? Like you do a good job if the company does well. The more that happens within an organization, I think the more the entire organization can reach what I, what that flow state where um, that communication is almost effortless and frictionless and everyone's communicating. So you've got sales talking a product because not just because, you know, some new client wants wants some features, but sales has all the feedback from what they're hearing in the market, right? Um, and then you've got engineering talking to, to sales, talk about how uh, how they think some initiative they're working on will help impact and help them sell, right? And so you've got this flow of information between these, these you know, disparate de- departments in the organization that makes the organization work uh, function, you know, at a higher level. And so I think when you look for those traits in a leader, you build your skill matrix and the things that you can work on coaching leaders in. Um, if you look for those characteristics and you coach on those characteristics, I think that's one way you can help measure performance in leaders. And so there's a lot of intangibles, right? It's not like you're shipping code, so you did a good job. It's like, you know, you're encouraging these conversations, you're advocating for these things. And, you know, maybe in some some organizations, you have to write white papers to get initiatives approved by your team. So maybe you, your manager is producing more white papers. Um, so those are sort of the things, you know, again, I have <laughs> found that to be difficult as well, but I think so. those are some of the things that have helped. Yeah, so there's something I do want to share. I think like um, when John was talking about like his uh, 90 day, like, you know, the stakeholder, um, you know, like how he thinks about business. So um, over the course of my career, like I've managed managers of managers to managers, right? Like at least like a depth three stack. And this exact point about like an engineering manager, how do you like figure out like how am I doing kind of a thing? So about like, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, I was noodling with this idea about an engineering operating system. So I'll just like share with you what I kind of like, you know, been evolving it over time, like just in terms of like, you know, it's more tangible for a a individual contributor, right? Like for a, for somebody in like management, like I look at it, like what I coach people over time from my own experiences, like looking at your role in four dimensions. One is um, you know, assuming we're all working some kind of enterprise SaaS products, again, that's the world I am in, like B2B, B2B2C kind of, uh, you know, hosted products. Like, what's your product velocity, right? Are you able to deliver a software in a predictable manner, right? Like, are you working with your product management team, building the things of right value, and are you predictable, right? So, I, like, what is the measure of your product velocity? The second dimension I look at it is your platform performance, Right. Are you meeting your SLAs, availability, performance, what have you? Even things like, um, um, you know, uh, outage tracking, management, all of that. Um, so what is your your API contracts and all of that? That is very tangible, right? Like you can own like a small team, big team, doesn't matter. You should be able, to, it's like you can think of it as a fractal, right? Like it, it keeps building on itself. And then the other thing I think about is operational efficiency, right? Are your engineers productive? Are you easiest thing is what are your cloud costs? Are you able to manage them properly? Like how efficiently are you able, is your team operating, right? Like a great tool is your sprint retrospectives. You always find out what could you do better. That's a great way to say like, are we becoming more efficient and productive over time, right? What's in our control? What can I fix as the manager versus I have to go talk to my manager because I can't do this. And the last thing I'll say is team engagement. How is my team doing? Are they motivated? What what shows up during my one-on-ones? I feel like it doesn't take a lot of effort. Like you you go through your one-on-ones every quarter as you do work to your teams. You can just like look at this checklist and say like where am I? And I find that 
It's also a good way to give visibility for people outside engineering too. Sometimes if you want to say, okay, this is exactly what's going on, right? It's not a big secret. And some ways to demystify what engineering does, because I think for the most part, like we're like a black box for people outside engineering. So some ways to really for managers to think about like, where does their time go? How do they think about it? So I, I, I'd be curious if this resonates with you guys. I mean, I just like put some framework around it, but that was from my intuition, kind of like what I built out over time. So I'm curious to hear other people's experiences and, you know, feedback on if this could be a way uh, to think about, you know, engineering management performance. Yeah, no, I think a lot of that, what you described makes sense. I don't know if you're familiar with frameworks like Dora, which are for like DevOps health and they have a lot of KPIs like cycle time, things of that nature that you described. But I think you touched on all the important things, making sure that you're shipping value, that you're able to do things quickly, that your developers are supported, have a happy environment or productive, um, that they're able to like iterate quickly and that they're health and motivated. So I like that framework a lot. Um, and as a data guy, the, the fact that you're going to hold managers accountable to that is something that I think would be awesome. So. I would love if you published that somewhere so I could use that going forward. <laughs> that would be helpful. If I could have a copy where I could refer to it as I'm trying to you know, implement and adopt, that would be super helpful. <laughs> well, Duncan, you just became my goal buddy. I've been like wanting to write a post about this for a while. So just ping me if I don't do this. So now I know at least one person will read it. So I'm motivated to put this into yeah. writing. You have two. I will definitely read it. I'm three. I'll, I'll read it, Norsheen. Okay. <laughs> You've got at least three. <laughs> That's an audience. There you go. We got quorum, right? Like, <laughs> um, so I, I've heard this mentioned a couple of times, and I just kind of want to throw this out there. I've read this book called, and I think I think John, you had this on one of your topics, um, called The First 90 Days. And this is something that I think really helped me as a leader when I was joining a new organization as a leader. I joined some time ago, and one of the organizations that I joined made all the new readers, uh, le new leaders coming in read this book. It's really good. It kind of talks about what you should do as a new leader to an organization within the first 90 days to, to ensure you're going to be successful long term, long term at the organization. So, um, just wanted to throw that out there for for anybody who's interested. That's awesome. Well. We've covered such a massive host of topics there. Um, did anyone have anything that we didn't cover that you guys wanted to talk about? Or do you think we've covered everything? Because it's a very, very wide topic. So I feel like we could definitely sit on this call for another probably three hours. <laughs> um, but is there any, any last points that anybody wants to make? Yeah, I guess one topic I am interested in double clicking on, because I think it's a big problem in most companies, is the flow of information that you were talking about earlier, Duncan. So I think that is the number one problem I've seen is effective communication, not just between managers, but between departments and ICs, because there's basically two ways I've seen it go. You have a ton of meetings, a ton of information in Slack and email, and people are overwhelmed and they can't get relevant information and take action. So they just tend to ignore it. Or you just have siloed conversations and information isn't being communicated effectively. So as managers, I think you're spot on, like ensuring that you're communicating value, that you're getting information to your teams and to the people that are required is very important. I'm curious how you guys have tackled that. We've tried a mix of things like confluence and documentation, knowledge management, trying to make Slack more ephemeral so it doesn't become like a persistent source of truth, um, doing like monthly updates on value and focus and risks and all of these things to different departments. But how do you ensure that you're in, everyone has the information that you need and you're communicating tech value? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I by no means have seen this solved, right? Because to your point, this is sort of a, it's a big, a big problem, 
won't say it's nebulous because we, we can understand it, but um, but it's a big problem. It's hard to wrangle. But something I've worked in organizations and I've helped lead some of these initiatives where I have seen um, I've seen it work well, um, not soft. So a couple different things. You know, I mentioned the white paper thing. So a lot of times um, when we have projects that need to be done, um, we very quick piece of paper, like one page idea, not a scope document, more like a product initiative document that says, here's what we're trying to achieve, right? And so I we don't not just technology products, but also like internal initiatives like um like an like an architecture academy where we, we were helping in one look. And so this was I worked at a company that had a bunch of it was globally distributed. So at, at this one location and you know call it Charlotte, North Carolina where I am, um they, you know, we'd be working on an architecture academy. And so we would disseminate that throughout the organization to um, other locations so that they could adopt adopt it, right? And then, you know, in that particular example, another location was working on something similar, slightly different, but something similar. That was one way that we were able to merge ideas. And then that sort of sprinkled out across other other locations. Um, and then there's, there's the, the other way is, to your point, is sort of, I think, results in meeting fatigue. But if you, um, I'm a big fan of, have meetings, send out information via email or what you use your 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 uh, medium of choice, but um, have meetings for decisions, right? So send out information. You have your committees who are responsible for receiving this information, processing this information, and disseminating it if it's something that you wanted to green light. And so I've seen that work pretty well too. Um, but only have the meeting, not to share information. Uh, have the meeting to make a decision. Come already prepared. Uh, with the information to make the decision. Yeah, I think that is a definitely a three plus hour topic, and I'm not sure it's all entirely solved. But I'll share two thoughts on meetings and communication in general. I think meetings are should be, you know, I think you should be very clear about the purpose, right? Are you informing, you're consulting, you're negotiating, like what is going on in this meeting? And I tell people, just don't go to a meeting because it shows up on a calendar. Ask why you're being invited. What is the agenda? I will not go to a meeting if there's no agenda. Like my time is valuable, right? And somebody should capture a summary and action items coming out of the meeting. If it was just informing, then that's fine, right? Like you can have town halls, like you're sharing information, whatever. But I think it's very important and, you know, because people say, oh, I'm going to a lot of meetings. So the question is like, do an inventory of how many meetings you go in a week and are you needed there? If you're not needed, excuse yourself. And sometimes people actually, the organizer might appreciate it because they maybe they didn't think through how many people they want, right? I also think it reflects um, your culture. If every single person needs to be on a call for you to make a decision, I would really question to go back and say like, why do you need so many people, right? That That's the antithesis of moving fast, right? So I think like really, I feel like there's a lot of control um, especially meetings that you schedule as a team and you're invited to. And, um, you know, to some degree, if you're just using it as a way to um, not work on the things you need to work on, then I think there's an opportunity there to take a step back and really look at it. In terms of communication, though, overall, starting from inside, I really encourage teams to have team charters and the way of work, right? Like the wow. How do you communicate within the team? How do you communicate outside the team? Like, you know, teams will publish our public Slack channel is this and you can contact us for these. And, you know, and then usually have somebody on call so that not everybody is on all the channels all the time. Right. And I think very importantly between product and engineering, like what are mechanisms by which you will talk about, you know, whether it's, you know, your use cases. I mean, obviously we use 
I mean, I shouldn't say obviously, Jira seems to be the choice of, uh, you know, like uh, it's a source of truth, book of record, call it whatever you want, and confluence between that, really trying to understand what are we trying to do here. And for engineering teams, the tool that I've promoted and used is like the ADRs, architecture, you know, decision uh, reviews, like, because oftentimes you'll see a diagram or something, but you don't know why the diagram ended up the way it ended up, right? And because we also know there's a balance, right? The minute you put something down in confluence, it loses its value. Nobody's ever going to go see it again. So you want to really be mindful about like how much do you want to put in, whether it's for onboarding purposes later for other engineers to your team or just transfer of knowledge, right? And um, I don't know, maybe this is a place where chat GPT will help maybe like, you know, with internal systems where you have a question, you just want to know, like, you know, within your organization rather than actually reading something, um, maybe there are other efficient ways. But outside cross-team things, I feel like good communication puts the onus on the person responsible rather than the person who doesn't care. That's just been my experience. There's some people who go through a lot of effort to share, but it's only how much people are able to retain. So I feel like it has to be timely and there has to be some way to let people know, hey, we talked about it. You need to be accountable for this and remember things, right? The burden shouldn't be on the people who are trying to be the good citizens. It And I don't know how to do that yet, but um, it's it seems like from the, you know, uh, company level, there has to be some norms about how often and what kinds of information are shared and, you know, some way for people to not be surprised, right? Like maybe the survey is like, how are you surprised? Like even after you've heard so many conversations, um, you know, it, it's kind of hard, right? And I can tell you that when COVID happened, we really had to find other ways of communication, right? I think COVID forced a discipline for us to do better at communicating. But at the same time, it's really hard to know who's consuming what and who's able to retain what, right? So I know this is not really answering your question, but I feel like there's plenty of opportunities here. But I think trying to control what you can control within your team, um, I think just picking a few things and trying to get better with it and consistent with it, whatever works for you, I think is the best way. And as managers, then maybe you, you know, take out all the noise and give to your team what you think is most important in either direction, right? I feel like you need to become the, you know, I don't know, the 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 person responsible um, as a leader of your organization. Yeah, no, I think that makes a ton of sense. Filtering information down to what's relevant to others, sharing it, almost acting like a chat GPT until someone builds that tool automatically to summarize it for everyone else and let them take action and ensuring that there's a purpose. I do like the fact that you decline meetings where it's not a clear where it's not clear why you're there. Um, I do that sometimes, probably need to make it a better habit. So I think those are all good reminders. Um, I don't know if you either of you have read this book, but I'll toss it out there just as some homework in case you're interested. There's a good book called Team Topologies on the different team types and how to interact. So it's all about having self-contained teams and then there's enabling teams, there's um, various types of teams and it's all about how do they collaborate and interact. Um, so that way they can function autonomously. So I think that's a big factor to uh, making a high-performing engineering culture and team. But they talk a lot about the importance of like wikis, documentation, and how to collaborate. And it also has a team API that's almost like that charter I think you were describing. So if you're interested, good, good read. Just an endorsement. 
that sounds great. Sounds very geeky and nerdy. Something really <laughs> worth reading for sure. Oh yeah, it's good read. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read that. Um, uh, speaking on that Chatbeat GPT tool, I built a tool because I was dabbling that would take. Uh, a, this was, you know, it was for a company, but it was a POC. Never made, made never made it market, but it took the the you know the client focus, client facing organization. Clients would email for questions all the time, and I took you know over the years they'd compile a list of questions um, and answers. And I made it, I turned it into a tool. So that way when a client emailed in the question, it would hit the, it would hit the GPT uh, with the context of the, the organization's FAQ and could sit out, sit out a response. So sort of eliminated that, uh, that manual labor. And that was a, that was a fun project. So um, might be able to evolve that into this, this, what we're talking about here um, and lots of new products. So. <laughs> that sounds awesome, Andrew. I feel like I need to get in on this as well. <laughs> I need some of this. Um, perfect. All right. Well, I'm going to um, leave it there because I'm also really keen to go and buy all the books that you guys have spoken about. I've been jotting them down as we go along. So I've got a reading list um, and I'm sure everybody else that's listening has. So um, yeah, we're going to leave it there. But I really, really do appreciate you guys coming on the podcast. It's been so great having you. Um, yeah, this has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I want to take the opportunity to thank you all for providing your insights into the topic and thanking the listeners. Thanks so much, guys. <laughs>